do take a copy of God's Word, and we'll turn to 1 Samuel. We began a series there last Sunday, and we continue now concluding chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1, beginning in verse 21, and reading then to the uh, conclusion of the chapter. This is God's word. The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him, so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him, only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. She said, O my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord for this child I prayed. And the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord there. Thus far the reading of God's word. In the 1540s, upon his return to the city of Geneva to continue pastoring there, after having been exiled to Strasbourg for a while, the reformer John Calvin started sealing all of his correspondences, his letters, with an emblem of a pair of hands, Uh, holding out a heart. And around that seal was this phrase, Cor meum tibi offero, domine prompte et sincere. You guys all know what that means, I'm sure. I had to Google it too, don't worry. Cor meum tibi offero, domine prompte et sincere, Latin for I offer my heart to you, O Lord, promptly and sincerely. I offer my heart promptly and sincerely. Some of you may know that's the motto of a college that bears his name. University, sorry. Calvin University now. Um, I think we all know well enough that offering our hearts to God is a good thing to do. Um, It's... Part of our calling to love the Lord our God with all our heart. Uh, But the real genius of Calvin's slogan is the prompte et sincere part. The promptly and sincerely bits. That's the key. It's not just that we begrudgingly offer ourselves to God. It's not that we eventually offer our hearts to God. It's not that we duplicitously offer our hearts to God. But that we promptly and sincerely Give ourselves to the Lord. Well, at the start of 1 Samuel, we have come to 
admire this dear saint named Hannah. Uh, She is earnest. She is devout. She's suffering. Uh, She does not abandon her faith, even though difficult trials and uh, desperate loneliness have beset her. Uh, We cheered for her when her prayer was answered and she was able to hold Samuel, that child that she prayed for, the boy whose name means God hears, God heard her prayer. So barrenness gave way to blessing because God heard and God answered. But if you remember, her prayer had come with a promise. She says, if you see there in verse 11, we looked at last time, she says to God, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, here's the promise, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. She's somebody who's offered her heart to the Lord. Her heart, her desire was to have this child, and now she's saying, I'll give that back to you. She's giving the thing that is most dear to her. But then as we come to our text today, we might stop and then ask, did she really mean it? Did she really mean it? Is she offering her heart Promptly and sincerely, look at verse 21. The man Elkanah, remember her husband and all his house, so that includes not just Hannah, um, but Penina, the, uh, his other wife, and uh, all of her, uh, her uh, children, her brood. They had that annual trip up to uh, Shiloh, to the tabernacle, to worship there. So it's that time again. Now, though, Hannah has Samuel. The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice But Hannah did not go up. Uh Uh-oh. Wait a second. That doesn't sound right. It sounds like maybe she's uh, backpedaling on her earlier promise. Was her prayer before just a sort of manipulation of Yahweh to get the child that she desperately wanted? Well, far from it, because the text vindicates Hannah as the prime example of a prompt and sincere worshiper and servant of the Lord as we see, her hard sacrifice is undergirded by a good theology of God's character. And that good theology has now been manifested more clearly in the great gift of the gospel. I want to consider those things with you this morning. First, consider her hard sacrifice. And then the good theology that undergirds that sacrifice. And then the great gift that now has come to fruition Uh, Since Hannah's time. First, the hard sacrifice. Hannah tells Elkanah she's not going up, and then she gives a very straightforward and simple logical rationale for her skipping the journey. She's still weaning Samuel. Uh, Back in ancient times, a child would not be uh, completely weaned from breastfeeding until they were at least three years old, maybe four years old on some occasions. So this isn't a, a, you know, a new mom who is skipping church for the, a few Sundays after she gave birth while she's recovering. That's not the idea. What she's saying here is, I'm not going to be up at Shiloh for years. For years she's skipping out on that time of worship. And the reply from her husband is, do what seems best and may the Lord establish this. Well, it seems to me that keeping the child back actually was part of Hannah making good on her vow, not shirking the vow, not delaying it. Because if you think about it, if she immediately turned Samuel over to Eli, in those days there are no bottles, there's no uh, formula, 
no means for that child to survive apart from his mother's nurture until he could eat food on his own. So far from giving the child over to God, she would really be giving him over to death if she went up and gave the child at that time. But she says in verse 22, her desire is that Samuel will dwell there forever. Do you see that? That's what she wants. Be with the Lord at the tabernacle and dwell there forever. Or in other words, she wants him to be there his whole life. And so she doesn't want that life to end prematurely. But then think about how much harder this makes her sacrifice. The already imaginably difficult decision to give up her child becomes all the more difficult because now she spends years, maybe three, maybe four years, getting to know her son, loving on him, holding him. Uh, three years of, of rocking him to sleep. Uh, of teaching him to, to crawl and then to, to walk. Three years of tickling him, making him giggle, playing with his hair, holding his hands. Three years where he would spend hours every day at her breast, right at her heart. And talk about giving your heart to God. That's literally what she was doing. So you see, there's no ripping off of the band-aid here. I mean, it would be hard to give over your child, and it's not as though she says, just do it and get it over with. No, she spends years with this child. For years when Samuel cried, it was his mother who comforted him. For years when Samuel would lift up his hands, it was his mother who would hold him. For years when he was hungry, it was his mother who fed him. She was his life, and would it be too much to say that maybe he was her life too? He was her comfort her dearest treasure. Uh, holding him to her breast was not just a comfort to the child, but to this dear woman who for years was alone and was misunderstood by everybody else in her life, who was ridiculed, who was sidelined. But now she had someone. Now she had someone. And yet, it's that same comfort in life that she is willing to give up and give over to the Lord, just as she had vowed in her earlier prayer. So she's not delaying unnecessarily. There's no second guessing here. She waited only so that she could ensure the child would survive to be a servant of the Lord. She offers her gift promptly. This is Hannah. She's not duplicitous either. She offers him sincerely. That is, she gives her only son in an act of faith to the God who had been faithful to her. That's why when the time finally comes, verse 24, it says when she weaned him and she took him up with her, she brings also the elements to have a sacrifice to God. The, the bowl, the ephah of flour, skin of wine. And then verse 25, and they slaughtered the bull there and brought the child to Eli. This is all part of of her giving him over. She's doing it in an act of devotion, an act of worship. She brings him with the choicest gifts, proof that this was a heartfelt and faith-filled act of devotion to the Lord. And so we ask, how could she possibly have done that? How could she bring herself to, to, to do this? And if you're not asking that, I don't think you're recognizing what's taking place. This is her only son. The, like, I, like I said, probably the only one who gets her in that family. Elkanah certainly tries but seems to fail. Penina is her, her rival. 
and yet now she has someone. How can she bring herself to follow through with such a heart-wrenching task? It's not just that she does it. This is what she wants to do. Remember Elkanah's comment to her there in the text? If it's what seems best to you. This is actually what seems best to her. How does this happen? Well, we actually have the answer. And the answer is her theology. Her understanding of who God is and what he's like. She tells us why and how she's able and willing to give over Samuel. And that's in this brief speech to Eli at the tabernacle. Verse 26. Turn there with me. Verses 26 and 27. So we notice, secondly, that this hard sacrifice is undergirded by a good theology. So they've arrived at Shiloh. Eli comes out. He wonders what this woman is doing. She appears to be unloading a kid at his doorstep, and he's thinking, what is going on? And so she kind of has to remind him of the events that took place earlier in the chapter. It was just a few verses ago for us, but it was years uh, for Samuel and, and Hannah at that time. And so verses 26 uh, verse 26, oh, my Lord, as you live, I'm the woman who is standing here in the presence. You know, she's saying, do you remember how you thought that drunk lady was there and you were trying to get rid of me and you were admonishing me? But I told you I was actually pouring out my soul and, and you said the Lord would give me a child. Well, that, that's me. And here's the child. And I promised I would give him back to the Lord to be a servant of the Lord. So she presents Samuel. And perhaps she's speaking to give Eli some encouragement as well. Look at the faithfulness of God, Eli. Here it is. But now she explains why she's giving the child to him. But embedded in the why is also the how. How she's able to do it. This is where her theology comes out. Pay attention here. It's especially it's in uh, verse 27 and 28. Let me read them. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord as long as he lives. He is lent to the Lord. There is um, a word that Hannah uses four times in these two verses. Uh, One word, it's translated differently in the English, um, but it's the same Hebrew word, sha'al. It means to ask or some form of asking. Uh, it's translated in verse, in, I'm reading from the ESV, um, as granted and petition. The Lord has granted me my petition. Uh, those are the same root, come from the same root word. And then in verse 28, uh, they're both translated as lent. So the two times that we read the word lent. Therefore, I've lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. Basically what she's saying is this, that which is lent to God is that which was petitioned from God. That which she gives to God is that which God gave to her. She is granting to God what he first granted to her. So how could Hannah give her son, her only son, her beloved son away? Because he wasn't her son in the first place. She's saying, God gave him to me, and that's why, as long as he lives, I'm giving him back to God. It's as though she's saying, I asked him, that's the root word, I asked him of the Lord, now he shall be asked of by the Lord. The Lord can ask of him from me. The Lord has every right to have him. The Lord can say, I want this child, because I said to the Lord, I want this child. Remember what Hannah says in verse 20? She called his name Samuel, for she said, I've asked for him from the Lord. Now she's saying, I asked him of the Lord, the Lord can ask him of me. That's her theology. She's ready to give her son over to the Lord's service. 
returning him to the Lord who gave him to her in the first place. The Lord who answered her prayer and provided in such amazing ways. And Hannah understands that the God who could do all things is well deserving of all things in return. Nothing can be held back. And she also recognized, I think, recognizes that if God provided for her this son, well, don't you think he could provide for her another? If he provided for her before she was given Samuel, if he was with her when she didn't have Samuel, now that she gives Samuel away, would he not still be with her and provide for her all of her needs? The God who could make her barren womb conceive would not leave her empty again. He would continue to bless her. That's good theology. This is big God theology. I wonder if you have that today. Is that your theology? Does your theology go something like this, that there's, there is nothing too great uh, that I could ever give my God because there's nothing too great that he could ever do for me? That's, that's Hannah. That's how she's operating here. She wants to give everything in a worshipful response to the Lord because he's given everything to her. That's her theology. You see, she, she's perhaps operating from an argument from, from the lesser to the greater. She's thinking, if he could give me my son, then he can give me anything. I, I won't be empty. I won't be empty. She looks back on God's faithfulness in the past, and she's convinced of his faithfulness in the future. That's what Christians are called to do as well. That's good theology. In this theological view of God, we have now more fully confirmed, more fully manifested in the life of Jesus. And so we consider finally God's great gift to us in the gospel. We've seen Hannah's heart sacrifice. We've seen her good theology. Let's think about God's great gift to us. Centuries later, after our text, another mother found herself in a similar situation. Mary is blessed by the Lord with a son, but a son that properly wasn't hers, really, right? Luke 1, 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy. That is set apart. That is not yours, Mary. In fact, he is the Son of God. Luke 1, 35. And because the child was not Mary's to begin with, it wasn't up to her how he would be used in life. Yes, it's her, it was her responsibility to to bear him, to nurse him, to raise him, but then it was her responsibility to let him go. To let him go. He had a greater purpose in life. Much like with Hannah, when Mary brings her son to the house of God, in Luke chapter 2, it's declared that the ultimate purpose will be to serve God's people. Remember what Simeon says, behold this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. And just as we have come to appreciate the heart-wrenching sacrifice that Hannah made, consider the sacrifice that Mary made and what she was forewarned of at that moment, a sword will pierce through your heart as well. But of course, what is most astounding is not that Mary would give up her precious son, but that his father, his heavenly father, his eternal father, the father that he had been with in perfect communion for all eternity, that even this father was willing to give him up for his people. Romans 8.32, Romans 8, Paul pens for us the marvelous truth that God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Hannah's giving up her son for God. God gives up his son for you. For you. 
Hannah was willing to give her son as a gift to the worthy God, yet God is willing to give his son as a gift to worthless people such as ourselves. That's grace. And that's the gospel. Hannah gives up the son she knew and loved and cared for for three years. God gives up his eternally begotten son. This is grace. And Paul fills out the implication of this gracious gift for us, doesn't he? You know the next line. It says that he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? All things. Hannah knew this. This is that good theology that she had. She, she understood that since God gave her Samuel, he could and yes, he would give her whatever else she would need in this life. He's a God who's able to give all things. He could do it. This side of the cross, we know that since he provided a son in this life, he'll provide salvation in the next. Paul is arguing from, from this uh, gospel logic. If he gave up the son, which is most precious to him, then certainly he's not going to hold on to anything else that you might need. What could he possibly not give us? And indeed, in giving us his son, he has already given us all things. I think that's the genius of what Paul's saying. Right? It's not that if he's given you Jesus, then he'll give you a kind of extra stuff. He's saying, in Jesus, you do actually have all things. You have everything that you might need. Paul says it in Ephesians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. We have all things in Christ. When we have Jesus, we have it all. We have forgiveness from sin. We have the defeat of death. We have the hope of heaven. We have eternal communion with our maker. We have it all. That's the gift God gives you. And the question is, what's your response to that gift? It must be to give back, to give back to God, to, as we heard earlier, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. God's deserving of this. God is worthy of this. He's worthy of it right now. Prompte et sincere. Promptly and sincerely. You don't wait. You don't drag your feet. Our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, there isn't anything that we are or that we have that isn't already God's, that isn't properly God's. And, and when we doubt that, when we struggle with that, when we find ourselves clenching onto our stuff, and our loves, and ourselves, and struggling to give it over to God, when giving to God does not seem what is best to us, then we need a lesson from Hannah in theology. If we're going to give in a big way to God, we first need to have a big view of God, of who He is and what He's done for us, because we only ever grant to God that which He has first granted to us. Parents, would do well to remember that. We are, thank God, not called to abandon our children in the way that Hannah ha uh, had to. This is a special instance in redemptive history. This is descriptive of what's taking place in the history of God's people. It's not prescriptive. This is what every good parent does. We do not dedicate our kids to the Lord like that, but we do dedicate our kids to the Lord. That is, our children are to serve God's pleasure and glory, not our pleasure and our glory. But of course, the implication here goes far beyond parenting. You don't have to 
have a child to have something to offer the Lord. It's all his. Your time. uh, Your money. uh, Your marriage. Your ministry. Your thoughts. Your affections. It all belongs to God. In the words of Matthew Henry, whatever we give to God, it is what we have first asked and received from him. All our gifts to him were first his gifts to us. All our gifts to him were first his gifts to us. We've learned from the life of Hannah the power of prayer. She says that to Eli, for this child I've prayed, here he is. I've I've prayed for him. We learn about the power of prayer. I think we learned something also about a life of praise. This is what it looks like to live in worshipful devotion and service to the Lord who has given us everything that we have. This is what it looks like to live life in light of the gift of the gospel. It looks like this. If I have all things in Christ, then that means I lose absolutely nothing by giving God absolutely everything. Did you hear that? Do you get that? Do you understand that? If you have all things in Christ, you lose absolutely nothing to give God absolutely everything. To give him your heart. To give him your heart promptly and sincerely. In one of John Newton's wonderful hymns on prayer, he has this line. He reminds us that we are coming to a king. Large petitions with thee bring. For his grace and power are such that none could ever ask too much. God's grace and power are such that none could ever ask too much. I think that we could also say his grace and his power are such that none could ever give too much. You could never give too much to God. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Or as Calvin has taught us, it deserves our hearts right now, right here, in true devotion. Will you give to the Lord that which he most deserves, your own self, your own soul, your own heart? Will you give it to him promptly and sincerely? Our Father, we ask that you would confirm your word upon our hearts the hearts that you own and you deserve. Help us to walk more faithfully after you. That we, in response to the great gift of the gospel, would give greatly to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.